podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. Ethan, how's it going? You only think it's not contrived if you start the conversation, that's all. You're just used to being the one. This is the kind of tension that people come to run with it for, so I appreciate that. We've got George Deglin sitting here patiently waiting. I have no idea how he's tolerating what we're talking about here, but he is the one signal founder. He a tool to help businesses interact with their customers more effectively via push notifications. Uh, across web, mobile devices, et cetera. We'll talk more about that at the end of the episode. Doing over $10 million a year in revenue. I think I saw 9.9. I'm going to round up. Assuming Enough that Georgia- about that, Chris. We don't need to hear about his current project. We want to talk about the new business idea. Let's hear it. What- yeah, yeah. It, so, so the new business idea has something to do with making a, an ecosystem sort of a la Shopify, but for SaaS creators so that they can just kind of hit the ground running just like somebody can hit the ground running with an e-commerce business with, with Shopify. And uh, yeah, we looked around, I looked around, I think Chris looked around. I mean, we didn't find too much that's like this. It seems like an interesting idea. Why did you think of this? Like, was there something that sparked this thought? Yeah, personal experience, frankly. Obviously, OneSignal is a SaaS company. And when we started the company, we, you know, we had aspirations for all of these things that we wanted to build to help our customers. What we didn't anticipate was that so much of our time would go into not actually building all of this messaging infrastructure, but it was frankly building all this boilerplate to do billing and many other things that, that go into uh, running a SaaS business. And uh, we looked, uh, same, same thing, we looked years ago for a product to help simplify some of this. And uh, like every company, we ended up cobbling things together, but it would have been great to, to have, have something that just provided it all in one box. What percentage of your developer time was spent doing things that you think could have been boilerplate versus the things that made one signal unique? Early on, it was probably something like 30, 40%. Um, and now on an ongoing basis, it's probably about 20% of our time to maybe even 30% at times. That's huge. It's huge. Like the number of engineers that are just working on boilerplate that frankly could oftentimes be solved with, you know, product like, like this one. So I found an article, it's actually from a couple of years ago, but it's called the 15 predictions for the next big thing in software development coming out of Forbes. And uh, some interesting ideas, definitely uh, number five is software to build software. That, that mm-hmm. makes a, a lot of sense. I think that, you know, this is a recurring theme in, in any situation uh, where there's some sort of money to be made or some sort of growing industry is to be meta about it, right? Like if, mm-hmm. if it's the gold rush, you know, you sell the pickaxes and the shovels and that's where you make the money. Um, so it, it definitely seems like an, not only something that solves a lot of headaches, but something that's going to be just a smart business idea like we see with Shopify looking at the stock uh, since 2017 it grew from like $40 a share to what is it now like 1100 or something like that it's about that. 1100 i think yeah, yeah something like i that. mean it's ridiculous the growth of a company like that and again that's kind of what they're doing uh, selling mm-hmm. shovels to to the the gold miners right yeah, I was listening to an episode of Masters of Scale with Reed Hoffman and uh, Toby Luca, the founder of Shopify, and it's all about platforms and how valuable platforms can be. I think uh, 
Reed Hoffman distilled the most valuable thing you can do in in business is uh, he compressed it to use his words is be a platform. So there's a, a ton of power in that. I think that it's inaccessible or it's harder to harder to envision for new entrepreneurs. So I guess I'd like to hear more about how you would go about doing this. And, and maybe we can start with the aspects that need to be built. You had shared here user account management, usage-based billing, free trials, integrations with billing systems, integrations with support tools, integrations with sales and marketing software. I guess taking one example of, let's say, integrations with billing systems, how much do you really save having something like that versus just the PayPal or Stripe uh, setup that exists? Yeah, yeah. I think it's a great question. And it's something that I I definitely thought about uh, when I was coming up with this idea. The reality is you probably don't want to try to replace a lot of these best-of-breed tools uh, like Stripe, for example. Um, And in fact, Stripe does a lot of things that that play an important part in this idea. Probably where things start to fall short is when you're bringing multiple tools into your company. So you may want Stripe, but you also want that to work well with Salesforce, um, or you want that to work well with your user account system so you can grant user access to things that they pay for versus didn't pay for. Those are probably where the bulk of the work for this idea comes in. Um, And then wherever possible, you don't try to replace, but rather you partner with products like Stripe or Intercom or Salesforce uh, to make them all work very well together. Let's talk a little bit about not necessarily competitors, but analogs. Like when we talked about Stripe, something that I'm using right now is Kartra, which I hadn't even heard of, of a few years ago. And I'm, you know, it's, it's a new software, so you could find glitches and it's not perfect, but I feel like that's what they're doing for the type of niche that I have a business in, which is under education, you know, a marketing information products. And so, you know, it's got an email, it's way, way I can send email. And it's got a way that I could send text messages. It's got a way that I can create sales pages. It's got a way that I can host my content. And all within that, I can track what's going on. I can go look at a lead and I can say, they opened this email, they went to this sale page, they used this coupon. And it is, it's really nice because I don't have to focus on setting those things up. And mm-hmm. these type of businesses are growing really rapidly. You know, ClickFunnels was another example um, of something that tried to create a, a platform like that. I actually switched from ClickFunnels to Kartra. I'm happy that I did. I'm not trying to not click funnels right now. It sounds like, yeah, but, but, but but anyways, I think this is, um, the way that they have sold these things is really interesting too. Shopify, the way that it's grown recently is just by word of mouth. So there was thousands of, I think it's tens of thousands of their new clients just coming this year are through referrals from existing Mm -hmm. Uh, satisfied customers. So it's also an interesting way we can think about growing a business like this. You do a good job, make it easy, and you grow it based on some sort of a referral system where everybody benefits from the growth. Yeah, exactly. And I think one of the things that's probably been driving a lot of Shopify adoption uh, is merchants are buying products for themselves uh, or for their business. And they see that their competitor or someone else, uh, another place where they're buying products, is using Shopify, they realize that the experience is far better than perhaps what what they're doing without Shopify and convert over. 
Well, really, that's talking about the product itself being so good that people remark upon it, right? It's, mm-hmm. We talk about that a lot for even growing the podcast is how do we make this remarkable? And Shopify came up with a solution that was incredibly valued such that people want to talk about it and share with friends. That's mm-hmm. not the only way that people are doing it. I just read an article from the New York Times talking about Shopify. Uh, the title is, Can Shopify Compete with Amazon Without Becoming Amazon? And the subtitle says, Shopify, the key has been to put the merchant first. But mm-hmm. the uh, the closing line of that article, it, it was the closing thought was basically that this person's business, the author's business, the attempt that they made would not exist if it weren't for Shopify. And I think that's a really interesting aspect of a platform like this, right? And I'm, I'm curious how many additional SaaS companies could exist if you took off that 30% of uh, of overhead work that maybe that's the point between you being profitable and not mm-hmm. and and extending your runway. I mean, the slow slow ramp of death of uh, SaaS companies uh, that can change the trajectory for a significant number of companies. Yeah, absolutely. I think just as you see so many people moving, um, like creating these e-commerce experiences because it's so easy to do a Shopify, you could easily see uh, many, many more SaaS companies emerge. And these don't need to be like huge multi-billion dollar businesses. Um, it could be like a weekend project where someone puts together a useful service and launches it on this platform because it you know can be reduced to just a few hours of work um, and creates a business that otherwise would have never existed. Yeah, I think that would be a really interesting use case. One of the things that comes to mind about the psychology of the folks who could implement an idea like this is you keep hearing that developers undervalue what they develop. And on the surface level, you hear about the solution to to essentially do something that developers also can overvalue do. what they develop. I mean, there's just no <laughs> sense of the value of what they develop. <laughs> <laughs> just all over the place, yeah. Uh, but I guess I wonder how many people passed up on this idea because they think that it's just yeah, it's not valuable. Do, do you think more people, as 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 someone who's a developer and a business owner? Do you think more people would pass up on this idea because it sounds boring or because they don't believe that it's profitable? It, there's also a long ramp before you will probably start making money on this idea because it's very, very hard to sell it to companies that have already established all of these systems um, and probably aren't eager to like move off of it to some like brand new company. Uh, so you really need to take the, the long path. You have to start by serving emerging businesses, which by their nature won't be able to pay a lot. Um, but those are going to be the ones that are okay adopting this early on. And then, uh, hopefully they'll grow with it. Um, and I think that you, you see this sort of same model with products like, like Stripe, where they started just with startups grew with them. And then that is, that is fueled like the tremendous growth they've had since. Why would that be the case if you're still spending 20 to 30% of developer time on maintaining these independently developed, uh, hacked together solutions? Well, it's. Uh, because replacing something that you've like all of the systems that a company has built uh, with something completely different uh, in and of itself is is very difficult. Um, right. I think for a product like this, it's something where you want to use it from the very beginning, like from the very start when you implement how you manage user accounts or from the very beginning of how you implement uh, payments into your product. Uh, if you're doing it on this tool, then you're going to be in a perfect position to scale or it'd have to be so good such that you're <laughs> compelled yeah. to switch and it's worth the yeah, the, yeah, the switching Which costs. I, over time, that could happen. Um, 
but I think if, if you're building this idea from the ground floor, uh, it's going to take you a while before you get to that point. And so startups are going to, going to be your early audience for sure. I'm trying to think of analogs to this in terms of oftentimes the, the, the being or sort of the downfall of a, of a startup company. And this is why you haven't started this idea, right? Is you need to focus, right? And if you, if you lose focus, you try to do this, you try to do this, you try to do too many things, be too many things for too many people you lose. Right. And I right. think that that's part of why this idea sounds scary. Oh, we're going to integrate everything. So what are some models then when I think like, what are some models that, that you could look at to see successful businesses, right? I already mentioned Kartra, right? They're, they're not trying to be, they're trying to be one thing for one person, one type of client, but it's all about the integration or like Zapier, another great example where they're not trying to be everything for everybody, but they're trying to be the integrator. And I think that you can get over that hurdle of, of not of not being able to focus by focusing on it's really about connections and integrations and not trying to do all those things but trying to connect the modules together for people. Yeah, exactly. I, I have a feeling that if you were to start on this idea, you would probably either just pick one main area to focus on initially, or it would sort of naturally come to you through customer demand, um, and that could be tied to how uh, payments are handled. It could be tied to how user accounts and authorization is managed. But that would probably be the core place to start. But then the great thing is you, if, if you come at it with the mission to build a sort of platform and you start layering things on top, then that's where it goes from you know, just being a nice tool to, to being a really powerful and valuable platform. I want to call back a previous run with that episode. It was episode 45, Connecting Independent Software Vendors and CRMs with Steve Benson. He shared exactly this thought and he did focus it on on CRMs and, and smaller mm -hmm. software vendors. Talked about compiling a list of independent software vendors from the Salesforce App Exchange and contacting them to basically validate this idea as, hey, would you pay for a connector that would allow you to connect with other uh, CRM platforms. Is that what you're talking about here in niching down to one specific segment? You wouldn't necessarily say we're going to build like all of this payment stuff and like CRM support and authentication support all at once. Uh, I think that would that would be quite a lot to, to take on. You probably pick one and focus on it as sort of the, the starting point. When I look back at what what are the really foundational pieces that that a SaaS company needs when they're starting to build their business and look for products like this. It probably ties to, yeah, how they manage user accounts is probably quite important. I think how they manage some of their marketing systems can be quite important. And maybe maybe linking those two would be kind of the starting point. But that might vary as, as you sort of validate it with customers. That brings to mind the idea of buying a company that is already working on one of these tools. And it could be it could be a WordPress plugin. I imagine that a lot of uh, SaaS companies are moving away from WordPress to React or something else like that. But buying something like that and getting that user base and then expanding from there. In the research for this business came up, you know, in terms of like competitors or who's already doing this or getting into this, this company Limio uh, mm -hmm. came up. Are, are, we, are you guys aware of this company at all or... My impression of Limio is that they haven't really launched. It's kind of in beta. They're on the right track here. But given that it's been a long time, we don't really see any publicly visible products from, from them yet. It's not clear that, that they're a threat or not. They call themselves the, the Shopify for subscriptions as well. So people are really tuning into that way of distilling the opportunity. 
Well, I think one of the things that I noticed when researching this is, in fact, there are people that are using Shopify uh, for this exact use case. Um, and Shopify is not designed to be the, the system for your SaaS product. Um, the fact that, that people are using it that way, despite it's, it's, uh, the design being for something else entirely, uh, suggests that there, there probably really is an opportunity here. Yeah, totally. And that's also a great action step if you can figure out how to intercept these folks who are using that, right? I mean, maybe there's even, I don't know, maybe even you start a group that's like hacking Shopify to run your SaaS business, right? <laughs> and you you kind of, there's probably a handful of people like, oh yeah, yeah, I'd like to get in that group because I want to know what are all the hacks. But then on top of that, you'll find out what are the common places where it's not working, right? And then that's how you can start to think, what are the first things that we can put together that can help people? And who knows, maybe there's a way, I mean, maybe there's a way to hack Shopify to make it like the white label backend of, you know, whatever, whatever you're gonna create for SaaS owners and then slowly yeah. uh, build it into your own product. Yeah, that's a great idea. In fact, one thing I didn't look at, but it's probably worth uh, exploring is Shopify has this very robust app ecosystem. Uh, there may be apps that are out there uh, that provide some of this, um, and that could be maybe acquiring one of those apps or partnering with it. Uh, it could be a way to get some of that initial customer interest or revenue, perhaps leverage parts of Shopify platform, perhaps bring other uh, external products into the ecosystem, um, and then decide long-term whether it makes sense to keep that Shopify component around or not. We are talking about Stripe a couple times. You mentioned Stripe as being a company to look to as inspiration for how they got customers. They have the famous Collison installation, if you read about them on Y Combinator, where right. Patrick Collison would sit down with founders and, and actually uh, have them open up their laptop and, and set up Stripe with them. The difference that I'm seeing here is that we're targeting aspiring or very early SaaS um, mm -hmm. entrepreneurs, not folks who are already taking payments who have an established business. So mm -hmm. I think one of the risks there would be that a lot of these aspiring SaaS founders or very early ones fail either because their their idea wasn't that great or they just haven't, you know, they haven't mm -hmm. got through it. Whereas if someone is already taking money and you can see their revenue and then it's probably worth Patrick Collison's time to set up Stripe for them. Well, I think actually a lot of the businesses that Patrick Collison was helping were actually like just getting off the ground and, and had a very high degree of uncertainty. But that was okay. Uh, he may have helped hundreds of companies. Uh, if just a couple percent of those became hugely successful, then that was, that was obviously a great starting point. But the other thing to keep in mind is when you help someone set it up for their business, just because a business doesn't succeed doesn't mean that that's not an opportunity because those people are going to go, they're going to start another company, they're going to join another startup. And if you turn them into an evangelist, like that customer lead is, is going to stay for, for years or decades to come. I really like the idea of partnering with VC firms because, you know, it, you can take the same approach with this business that a VC firm does is that you can serve people who are starting out, you know that they're not going to succeed, but a couple ones are really going to hit pay dirt and you're going to grow with them. And it, it's, I think it's going to have that effect just like a, being a VC does where by serving one individual or a handful of individuals, whether or not they make it, there's always going to be people, be people trying to make it. A lot of companies take this exact route I and mean, they'll give away like generous versions of their products completely for free to startups. You see this even like AWS will give startups a lot of like free credits on their platform. 
And yeah, nine times out of 10, you know, they don't really get that money back, but enough times like a business that's using those credits or, or using these products will grow and actually become like some of the largest customers that, that they may have. Looking at the value of the solution here, you shared some numbers. Given the immense savings in development maintenance costs, it's foreseeable that early stage businesses could pay 3% or more of their revenue for this solution. And then additional revenue could be captured by implementing a payment system for each customer at 10 million annual recurring revenue. This would be a 300K opportunity. Those numbers align very uh, serendipitously with your your income here. So presumably that's something that that's on the order of magnitude for what you would pay for a solution like this if you were starting from scratch. I mean, the development savings alone is is monumental. You know, I, I look back at like all these things that our team has had to do. Like we, we recently implemented Marketo. Uh, and it was such an arduous process because we've got you know, data that lives in our database in a certain way. And we've got these other tools that we've chosen to implement in certain ways. And then we want to get data to Marketo. And it's just, it, it's hard uh, because we've built this bespoke system. This is true of every single business. They've got their customer data living in some format. They've got various tools they use. If their product like this existed, and if we had sort of followed the design principles that it had, and those were standardized, and we could just click a button and Marketo would be turned on and data flowing. Uh, I mean, the business, frankly, would be would be further along. It would have saved weeks of time that, that we could spend in other places. I'm interested yeah. in, uh, in jumping over to some of the, the benefits of a solution like this. So there are the direct benefits where you're saving some developer time. You also mentioned that the scale of the platform can help build competitive advantages like platform-wide fraud prevention tools, pre-saved payment information, what else is an opportunity out there that that uh, we can think of? I was thinking along the lines of if more SaaS companies are present on this platform, the value of the platform as a whole gets more valuable. Are there any aspects like that that, that happen? I think there's a lot of things around payments in particular uh, where you can start to use either analytics that you develop or even like customer information uh, to help each company on the platform be more successful. So for example, and I, and I think Stripe might do this, uh, but saving people's payment information when they check out on one website so that it's pre-filled on the next one, I think that's tremendously uh, valuable. There may be other opportunities. I think one of the things that Shopify does is they'll show you benchmarks on uh, how your website or how your store compares to others. Um, and that could be in the performance, like your pages load quickly, um, or it could also be around user engagement uh, and things like that. Um, and you can bring those same insights to everyone across this platform, so people can can benchmark themselves. They can say, like, you know, are my is my how does my churn compare to other companies in my category, or how does user retention um, or average customer value compare? That could be quite valuable. I just want to throw out my paranoid fantasies here that I often worry about and maybe even see happening. So we have all these levels now of abstraction with technology to the point where. Like we have people who don't believe the earth is round anymore, even though, <laughs> or spherical, let's put it that way. You know, just because you don't have to know that, you know, it's just like, and and so I'm just like, I'm, I guess what I'm concerned about is this is going to be great for 
maybe developing sophomore work quickly. Are we get, are we going to get are we getting ourselves stupider here somehow? Like are we are we digging ourselves into a unescapable ditch of despair? <laughs> I mean, of we're getting stupidness. generally stupider, but uh, but I'd say specifically <laughs> smarter, right? Like people. Oh, I see what you're saying. Generally, generally stupider, but specifically smarter. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I can't tell you how a how an airplane works or how to build a deck or, you know, even how to, how to build a table. I, I've never built a table. Whereas if you go back 300 years, I wouldn't want to do that. So that's, I think that's a common critique of any advancement in society. Yeah. Well, I think it's about specialization. When you're building a SaaS product to, to provide a service, you really want to spend as much of your time on, on exactly what you're providing, like what makes you different and all the boilerplate stuff behind the scenes that everyone just keeps building over and over. That's not a differentiator. And you could argue that that is actually not as valuable to society as a whole if everyone's just recreating that, right? If you can save all that time and have those developers focus on building new SaaS features or new SaaS apps, then that is overall better. I don't know whether I could say this if I didn't just sort of ignore what you just said, but I'm going to play bad <laughs> cop here right now and just say like, <laughs> but isn't that isn't that what starting a meaningful company is all about is doing the hard stuff. Like, like, isn't it like, isn't that where all the people who fail actually get lost is thinking it should be so easy that all I have to do is the stuff that I care about really. And then <laughs> they get in there and they say, Oh, I got to set up, you know, Marquita, uh, Marketo integration. Oh, screw this. Like, I don't even want to do it anymore. Do you agree with me at all? If there's any, <laughs> any legs to that side of this things? Is philosophical questions of, <laughs> I mean, encouraging people to just like not want to do anything difficult, you know, it's not necessarily difficult. I think it's more of, um, you know, the companies that succeed, like have to figure this stuff out anyway, mm -hmm. but it just like, it just slows them down. Uh, it just slows down innovation. It takes valuable engineering time. The argument there is that there are hard problems to work on, but they're not these. And so let's get these problems taken care of. Uh, like you said, Chris, they've already been done before. And so just get them done. You know, you're not proving anything by doing reinventing the wheel. So, yeah. How far yeah. back do you go? Are you going to make the, the teams build the building that they're working out of and, <laughs> you know, lay the fiber optic cable to, to get their internet? And, and... Yeah. Yeah, there's there's another element here, which is, um, you know, it is actually kind of hard. Um, and a lot of companies that build these systems, they don't they don't do it in the best way. I've been shocked at how many companies can't do billing in like a logical way. Every week, I'm logging into all these different products. I'm trying to figure out like, how am I getting charged for this? How do I get my receipts? It's just a mess. Like everyone does it completely differently. Some of them are frankly broken. Um, and it's because like, they're trying to minimize how much time they put into it. And it's not their area of expertise both the business and their users are going to have far better experiences if they can outsource this to experts. I'm just taking us off the rails here for a second here. I just want to throw in something that nobody cares about. You can cut this, but there is an artist. Uh, his name is Thomas Thwaites. And he did this thing called the toaster project where he actually attempted to build a toaster from scratch. Like, you know, just like raw, <laughs> raw, raw materials, like melting metal down and, you know, creating the wires and whatever, like all the details. It looks horrible. But uh, <laughs> if you want to get want to take out an exercise in what you were describing. Oh, man, Chris, I, I, have <laughs> a, I, mean, I, I empathize with that completely. One of my dreams in life is to, is to uh, make a meal completely from scratch. Where I do like grow the wheat. <laughs> oh, nice! You know, oh, you gotta be my buddy Sam. Chicken. You gotta be my that? buddy Sam. If you go in Sam's backyard, it's just literally a garden full of food. Yeah. You know, and he's oh, you gotta meet him. Yeah. 
I know that's, I mean, that's a much more romantic notion than I'm sure that it actually would be in practice. I don't think that my family would appreciate me spending a year of my life to make a sandwich, but, uh, all right, let's get into action steps here. Some of the things you mentioned that this would be a long play. You need to get startups on board. We talked about, uh, trying to find some of those early SaaS companies. I think one of the good ideas I'm going to bring back was to look at the, uh, Shopify app store and see if there are any apps present there that are that people are trying to finagle uh, Shopify to work for their SaaS system. There are tools like Built With that you can use to look at data for companies that are using Shopify, and maybe you can overlay that with uh, with some SaaS-related other tools uh, to try and find them. So what do you guys think about other steps to take? Yeah, just to reiterate, partnering up with VC firms, you know, that are... Yeah that maybe have some significant number yep. one, you got that startup. They're going to support you. Like you're a startup. They're going to understand what it's like for you to be a startup. And number two, they're going to feed you, you know, their latest businesses, because like we said earlier, they want them to focus on what is their, what is their actual value proposition, not just getting started. And though all those, not all of them, but a lot of those VC firms is about getting started quickly. Right. And that right. they're just going to love, they're going to eat this up. How fast can we get, throw this thing together? And, and, uh, and get, yeah, and get yeah actually, I think that's brilliant because they would probably pay for that too. A VC firm, if mm-hmm. they had you on retainer and let's say that you're just going to, whatever, they pay you 100 grand, 500 grand a year to help all of their, their entire portfolio is more likely to be successful if they are paying you. That's that's well worth it. Yeah. And in fact, if, if not part, if partnering with a VC firm, you could actually just partner with a few early stage businesses and do this as consulting work for them. With the agreement that whatever you build, uh, you can then productize separately. Um, that could be a great way to to bring in early revenue, uh, as well as, of course, validate. Another interesting approach to take, you know, I've I've I haven't done this yet myself, but um, I've heard it as just like a, a really a really interesting strategy to take. For, you know, is to have equity stake. You know, and so you could you could start with some of these businesses. And say, yeah, you're going to have to pay us a modest retainer fee, but we'll take us we'll take a slight bit of equity in your business. Then you're motivated to work hard to get these startups going. And I mean, and you're almost creating your own little VC firm out of it too, right? By helping all of these you know potentially very exciting startups get off the ground. Yeah. The other uh, distribution opportunity is actually working with companies that you plan to integrate with. So if you plan to uh, provide intercom as a way to integrate for customer support, uh, then they could also be a great distribution channel, either through a BD relationship or just presence in their in their partner ecosystem drive attention. Thinking about the, the sales of a platform like this, I have this caricature of software developers being really bullheaded and, and saying, no, I don't want to take your code. I'm going to, I want to build it myself. I, I want to, I want to go through and, and build a payments processing the way that I like it to be. Do you, do you guys think that that would be a challenge in selling boilerplate software like this? So speaking as a former engineer, this is the last thing that I would, I would want to work on. And in fact, it's, it's hard to get engineers to work on this stuff because it's, it is boilerplate. It is stuff that's behind the scenes. Engineers aspire to work on stuff that's like customer facing or really technically interesting. This boilerplate stuff like is is rarely the the area of interest. Well, I mean that's that's great to hear. I guess what's the why doesn't someone go out and do this other than it's just it takes a long time. It, it seems like 
a fantastic idea. You've laid it out there. It's pretty approachable if you're a developer, at least from the consulting angle and working with some early stage businesses. It's it's shocking to me that this doesn't exist. So I think that there's a timing element to it. There is certainly a trend of many, many more SaaS businesses being created today. I think if you go back even a few years, it, it was a different landscape. Uh, like SaaS wasn't as big. There weren't as many startups that were looking for things like this. Another component is certainly that it's it's hard. There's a lot of stuff to build. There's not like an immediate like big enterprise company that's going to write you a huge check to build it. You have to you know start small. You have to sell the startups initially. You have to uh, raise venture capital to fund the uh, the development of this, or you have to run the company in a really really lean way. Um, and that's all these things are more challenging. Um, require a great deal of expertise, and I think that's that's probably what's held people back. Seems like a really great project for something like YC. Like if you got into YC with a project like this, you know, you're magically surrounded by all these other people starting SaaS companies and then they're all your first customers and they support you and they're rooting for you. And, you know, everybody, everybody around you is going to be uh, rooting for you to win basically. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think Stripe certainly took advantage of the YC community early on. Getting into an incubator like Y Combinator is probably like really, really a good idea for, for this project. I think that's a good place to wrap here. To the listener out there, take some action. Let us know. At no, the very Chris, least, let the us know. Listener in there. To the listener in there, you in your in, earphones. You're in I, their head, Chris. You, I you, just you. picture them in outer space. Ethan always gives me a hard time, George, for, for saying the listener out there. I hope that we get fan mail from listeners saying that I am out there. Yeah. yeah this has been weeks of you correcting me. <laughs> weeks and weeks of you, of you correcting me here let us know what you think about the feedback if you agree with what ethan is saying and you just hate when i say the listener out there please tell me and i will i don't know 10 push-ups 10 push-ups yeah, that's fine too yeah take some action on this idea let us know what you think at the very least uh george really appreciated the conversation it's been a lot of fun where can people go to learn more about you and what you're up to yeah, so I'm the co-founder and CEO of a company called OneSignal. Uh, you can visit our website at onesignal.com. Uh, and OneSignal is the best platform for businesses to intelligently engage with customers across every channel. We provide a simple interface to push notifications, email, uh, in-app messaging, uh, and most recently, uh, SMS. Thank you. It's been a pleasure and looking forward to chatting with you soon. Podcast hosting for the Run With It podcast is provided by Transistor.fm. They host our MP3 files, generate our RSS feed, provide us with analytics, and help us distribute the show to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and more. If you want to start your own podcast or you want to switch to Transistor, go to Transistor.fm run, that's R-U-N, and get 15% off your first year.